Welcome to the Jump Around with Blake Dudonis, my podcast on women's basketball. Joining me today is the head coach of one of the best mid-major basketball programs in the country, but it's probably one you haven't paid enough attention to. Vanessa Blair Lewis, head coach at Bethune-Cookman, an absolute dominant force in the MEAC. Coach Lewis took over this program 12 years ago. It was in the basement of the league, and now they have gone out, won, won the tournament last year after winning the regular season title three straight seasons. They've clinched at least a share of the title this year. If they win one of their last two remaining games, they will clinch it outright. And those three years they had won it before, they lost in the conference tournament, went to the WNIT, but then last year, able to break through for the first time in school history, make the NCAA tournament. So I'm excited to talk to her about the program she's built there. She was a standout at Mount St. Mary's in Maryland, took over that program as a head coach when she was in her mid-20s. And so I'm really just, uh, I'm really intrigued by her her climb through her coaching career. We'll have some fun talking about her family as well. Uh, we'll talk about some deeper stuff too, but this is a program, if you don't know it, Bethune-Cookman, get to know it. And on that note, we'll get her on the phone and be right back. This is The Jump Around. And welcome back to the Jump Around. And joining me, it is the head coach of Bethune-Cookman, Vanessa Blair-Lewis. Coach, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to join me. I'm really excited to have you on. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for taking some time. Oh, no problem. This is exciting for me, too. Thank you for having me. Yep. Well, you have your team in a great spot and we're going to get into that later. Um, but I, I always like to start from the very, very beginning. So you go back to your youth days, you're, you're growing up in Maryland, you go to Mount St. Mary to play and you're part of that first division one class at the Mount. And what do you do? You go win 80 games, you win two NEC championships, <laughs> you, you score nearly 1500 points, all time leader in blocks and double doubles. I mean, growing up, if I would have told you, how your college career ended up. Is that something you envisioned? Were you someone who was just trying to make it into that level? Or did you always have aspirations to achieve that much greatness? You know, what what would you have expected if I asked you from the very beginning? Well, from the very beginning, when I started playing at seven, you kind of got to know the history. I come from a basketball lineage. Like, my cousin played for the Lakers and won a championship where number 24, um, how ironic, Adrian Branch from wow. the Maryland area played at University of Maryland. And I had cousins that went to, like, Ted Jeffries that played at the University of Virginia. So we grew up, whenever there was a cookout or a family thing, it turned into a shirts and skins basketball <laughs> game. And so there was a lot of trash talking. There was a lot of confidence, if you will. I'll say that out there. So, um <laughs> Getting to the point that I, you know, was able to earn a scholarship and go to college, uh, my dad always asked us a couple of questions that were key in our family. But one was always, what is your five-year plan? And I'm like, Dad, I'm five years old. Like, um, I think my five-year plan might be let me get to D10 years old. Um, but we were always goal-oriented. Like, everything we did, it was always a goal orientation to it. And so... When And my sisters and brothers, I'm the youngest of four, so I watched them. My older sister went to East Tennessee State and played for Su Yao, and then my other sister followed her there, and then my brother went to Elon and played for, you know, uh, played at Elon, but the, the AD at the time was the Yao's father. So it was a big Yao <laughs> kind of connection, and 
so when they came home, you know, I would see their workouts and stuff, and it was just never a question that you were not going to play this game at a high level and give it your all. Mm. So going to the mount, um, I, yeah, I know I wanted to be successful, and so I broke my hand in seven places my freshman year, and that's what a lot of people don't know. I only played in seven games. And so to still in three years mm. do kind of all of that damage, as they say, um, was a concentrated effort. It was like, wow, I felt like I lost the whole year, and there were goals that I wanted to have. I wanted to be the player of the year. Mm. I wanted to take this team. Um, so much had been put into the program to get us to a Division One level. I didn't want to be the first team to let, us, let anyone down. So, mm. you know, there were always aspirations to be the best that I could be. When you broke your hand, because, I mean, you, your career after that freshman year, it was stellar, and your coaching career has been stellar. Was that broken hand, was that the low point? Did, if there was one uh, throughout your career, was that, a, was that a difficult trying time for you? Yeah, because I had never been hurt before. I mean, you, you have the sprained ankles here and there. You come back in a day or two. And, and my dad was my coach coming up, especially in high school. So, you know, there was never any days off. And, you know, you're the coach's daughter, so you have to be the best at everything and on time and first. And uh, so when I broke my hand, I'm like, well, what, what do I do now without basketball? I mean, I'm around and I'm with the team, but it was – you know, for lack of a better word, it was really depressing because there's just nothing I could do about it. I, I wanted to say, hey, tape it up, but I broke it in seven places. There was no way you're taping <laughs> yeah, that up. No. Um, so it was it was my older brother, my older brother, my older sisters, my cousins were like, this is the time where you get stronger in other areas, get into lifting, do what you can on the bike. But now you got to come back even better, even stronger. So when I got released, like, that summer for me was crazy. Like, I was working out with my brothers and sisters and my cousins and, you know, just trying to pour everything and get it back. So that next season, I went from nothing my freshman year to my second year. I was on the second team, and I had some dynamic teammates. So my teammate was the player of the year. So I got a chance to play against the player of the year every day in practice. Mm. And then the next two years, I was, you know, back-to-back player of the year. So now everything was... You know, it was very well thought out. It yeah. was a push to want to be the best that I could be. Yeah, well, that worked out all right for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's pretty cool that you just recently had your jersey retired from the Mount, too. That had to be pretty special for you. Yeah, and now if you asked about those things, like those individual honors like that, I never signed up for that. I wanted our team to win. And I knew if I could be the best that I could be and my teammates could be the best that they could be, that we could have a chance of doing some special things. And that was always my focus. It was the team. And, and in order for the team to be great, individuals have to be great. But to get these accolades after the Hall of Fame and then the Jersey retirement was just so mind-blowing that I never came in thinking individually. And to have this these blessings poured out through just something that you wanted to do anyway is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Well, you end up after... You're playing overseas for a little bit. You come back as an assistant for two years, and then you take over the head coaching job at a Division One school in your 20s with two years of experience. And yet again, you just do the thing. Yeah, you're coach of the year, your first year. Um, you finish, you're still your second all-time in wins at the Mount. Uh, take me through that. I mean, a 20-something-year-old, I mean, two years in, I mean, that's basically you're still a rookie uh, in the coaching game and you're able to find success right away. How and why were you able to be so successful? What 
Um, maybe what things did you not expect uh, from from being a head coach, whether good or bad? I mean, that whole that whole thing is just fascinating to me. Yeah, well, I was able to be blessed to play under Bill Sheehan. He is a, he's deceased now, but he was a very strong old person, and he was hands off. He you were not going to get walked through much. You were he was not going to pay to you when you decided to be a coach. He was like figure it out. Like, don't call me. I have a family. So after seven, I'm not answering the phone. Um, he would sit down with my other assistant and he would say, okay, these are the needs for the program. Y'all go find the recruits. Like, and I'm 22 maybe then as an assistant. And then like in Bill Sheehan style, he calls me into the office. I'm 24. And he says, well, I'm going to retire. And I'm thinking after this year or in the future. And he's like, no, I'll be retiring on Friday, and um, I want you to be my successor. Oh, come on. And it's like, um, wait a minute, I'm 24. I don't even know what I don't know yet, yeah. you know? And my AD comes in, and he sits down with me, and he's like, well, we need to have an answer that night. And I'm like, uh, let me call my dad. And I'm like, Dad, he's like, uh, yeah, just say yes, you can do it. <laughs> you can just like, figure it out later. I used to, like, I'm like, I can? He's like, oh, yeah. I was like, just because you're a good player doesn't make you a good coach like that. I don't know how to do this. I'm just, I played with these girls I'm about to coach. Like, yes. And he's like, no, just say yes. You'll, you'll figure it out. And he was always a proponent of, my, my coach, Bill Sheen, was always a proponent of, if you're nervous about something, that's a great sign. Because that means you're going to go do your best. And trust me, like, I was extremely nervous when I took over that position. And the season had started. I took over in September. So we, you know, we kind of had the ball rolling. The girls were back in. And I think he wanted to set it up that way so that they didn't go out. He saw something in me that maybe I didn't see in myself. And it was great. And I think the the big thing about taking over that program that young was the players that I just played with that I recruited as an assistant coach. We had a good relationship. Yeah. And I was like, well, now how are they going to respect me as a head coach? Because, you know, that assistant sometimes is the – you know, she can be the pad for all the things the head coach says. And and they were great. Like, they knew that I probably was one of the youngest Division One coaches ever hired, and they bought in. And it was a great first year. I was like, wow, maybe I can do this. Yeah, yeah, this is easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, it's it's remarkable because you, you're able to stay there for a while, too, and, and have so much success at your alma mater. And uh, I know that's a, a unique thing. But then you decide to take the Bethune-Cookman job. And, and you had talked about it previously um, with it being an HBCU. People talk about, hey, you don't want to get you know stuck in that that role or stuck in that level or, or whatnot. But you've talked about being called to that level and how the conversations with people with you originally it was why would you and now it's how can I do that um if you don't mind for people that haven't listened to you talk about that if you don't mind speaking on that on your decision uh on on taking over that job uh, at that level well I um I was presented an opportunity, and like you, I'm from Maryland. I didn't know much about Florida. You know, I didn't know much about the film Copeland at all. And when I was approached with the with the chance, I said, well, you know, HBCU, I wasn't that familiar. I mean, I we had Howard and Morgan in our backyard, but I didn't spend a lot of time, you know, I wasn't recruited by those schools. So I didn't have a lot of familiarity with what that meant, except for do they have basketball there? Okay, well, <laughs> I, I can coach basketball. 
So then when I came down on a visit, I was like, oh, wow, this is a unique opportunity. It was a challenge because not because it was an historically black university it was because they were last place and they were last in every statistical category. And I said, you know what? I like a challenge. Mm-hmm. And so when I took over the position, uh, I want to say the position kind of took over me as well. I was able to get indoctrinated in a uh, university that was so rich in history and not just African-American history, but American history. This woman, Mary McLeod Bethune, uh, is a is a figure in a prominent figure in national history. And if you go to the African-American Museum in D.C., a lot of the African-Americans that are being displayed have a wall or a picture. She has a whole room. So she was legendary as at a time in our history, a, you know, a scar, if you will, in our history that she, as a female, decided I'm going to make a university. And, and to this day, she's the only female the only woman that has created a university mm. so that no one could be left out. And I'm like, wow, mm. this is impressive. And so a lot of our students come from this generation that was not afforded an opportunity to go to integrated schools until, you know, that was able to happen in the 60s. And so they hold on to the heritage, but our school is very diverse. Like it's not exclusive anymore. It's very inclusive. Mm. Um, but it's a it's a way to for you to learn who you are, so you can know where you're going. And so I've kind of grown grown in my history of my my own culture mm. by being here. Yeah. And it's been fabulous. And so I've never understood when people say, "Well, if you stay there too long, you're never going to get out." I'm like, "Well, this isn't jail. <laughs> I enjoy being here." <laughs> Right. I enjoy coaching these young ladies because I don't just go coach black girls or we co- we recruit basketball players. Yeah. And if they happen to look like me and some of them don't look like me, that's great. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's a place where you're trying to get out. If anything, it's a place where you're trying to pour into. Mm. And I've had that remarkable opportunity to be able to pour into young women, whether they're black or they're white or they're Asian. And it just has been a great place for me to come take a challenge and then turn it into such a, just the top, you know, we're just being able to sustain the top level uh, type of competitiveness. Yeah. I, I will, we'll get into your team, but I just, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't at least try to dive down that path with you a little bit of, you know, you are a black woman and as a head coach, we, we know the numbers, right? We see it all the time. Um, as far as the number of black people, but black women that get opportunities to be a head coach and Sharman Smith at Cal just wrote that article last week talking about, she knows that you know, she doesn't get a second chance. She has to be successful because, you know, she's not going to get rehired again uh, right away uh, on, on the same way that her white counterparts will. Do you, as a black woman, as a head coach, do you feel any added pressure to be successful, not only for yourself, for things like Charmin said, but just for trying to, you know, help the next generation of coaches come up, have a role model? Is that is that something you put any thought into or give thought to? Well, initially, when I first got hired at Mount St. Mary's, no, I didn't even know it was a thing. Mm. I just figured you, if you were good, you got hired for positions. And then as I went in, into my career, I realized, ah, something, sometimes things are a little lopsided. Yeah. And that if someone that looked like me back then, there weren't many. 
So when I would go to the Final Fours and go to places, there were a lot of women that were head coaches. And here I am, 24 and 25 years old. I'm looking for somebody to help me because I don't have this thing figured out. And I would look around the room, and there weren't many head coaches that were African-Americans. All of my friends were assistant coaches. And they may have been top assistants. So I was like, okay, well, where am I going to go get these nuggets of information? You know, you had Vivian Stringer, but I'm thinking, how can I go talk to this woman? She is Vivian Stringer. Um, And then as I continued to go on my journey, I realized, wow, well, if we get fired, we usually don't recycle well. And what happens to us? Sometimes you don't even see that coach again. And so I felt like then I felt an added pressure that if we get jobs in order for us to help others to get jobs, we have to win. We have to cheat these jobs. Otherwise, I don't feel, I haven't felt in my experience that if there's a black female coaching and she gets fired, and we're usually not replaced with another black female coach. And it could just be that AD or that administration's, you know, prerogative of who they hired, but it just feels that way. Yeah. And it, it looked that way. And then it became a reality. And I don't coach just to win so that I don't get fired. I coach because I'm competitive and I, I believe in what we, you know, our, our philosophy and it, it, it leads to winning. But yeah, I believe like that they're in the back of a lot of our minds that, you know, we can't lose these jobs. And yeah. I think your old boss said it best when we were on that show, coaching while black, Felicia, Felicia Leggett-Jack was, you know, when she lost her job, like she was, didn't, she was going to retire. Like there was, and, and here she had been successful on many levels at Indiana University, and and then it, and then it's just like, oh, okay, well, what happens? And it shouldn't have been that. It was just like, well, who's next? Who who would be next to hire her? And then to, for her to feel, well, let me just build a house and settle down and retire. So yeah, it, it, it is our reality, and whether it's in the forefront of your mind or in the back of your mind, it's. We want to have opportunities not because of the color of our skin, but because we're good at what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for anyone who hasn't watched that, by the way, if you literally just Google Coaching While Black, you'll see the conversation with uh, with Vanessa and Dawn Staley and Coach Jack and Carolyn Peck and Coach Yo down at Ole Miss, and it's uh, it's worth your, your 20, 25 minutes for sure. Um, uh, I appreciate you diving into that for me, Coach, but let's get to your team. You, you talk about feeling the pressure to need to be successful. Well, you certainly have been. You guys are rolling uh, this year, but you've been rolling the last few years. And last year, you finally broke through, right? 2016 through 2018, you win the league all three years, but end up getting tripped up in the conference tournament. You go to the WNIT all three years, which is a great achievement, but I know you wanted to win that thing last year. Uh, and I still remember yeah. seeing your um, your reaction on the sideline when you did win Um when you finally are able to punch through, get into the tournament, I mean, the the feeling must have been euphoric. What 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 kind of went into that after coming so close so many times and finally being able to do it? Well, there was a lot of um, a lot of belief in my administration that we could do this, and I always say before a team ever wins a championship, the administration has to win it first because they have to be the ones who support you to go that way. Because you can't have an administration that says, oh, okay, we want to be first, and then they don't do anything to support <laughs> you. So my, my administration has been was very supportive and, and still are. And it just kind of kept giving us 
just that resolve to keep going. And then we were able to recruit, recruit, recruit players that could believe in this next step. And I can remember that first group that came in and I said, you know, your job now is to take us from where we are to winning our first regular season championship. And it had not been done. And those girls were like, yeah, we want to come there for that. And they did it. And then the next step was recruiting those players that could take us from just winning that to winning in the tournament. And this was the charge of this last class. So along the way, yeah, you're winning, but it's you've coached your whole career. You've never got to that point. And trust me, there are not a lot of people that do get to that point. To win one time, let alone to win, I'm not talking about we're Gino. Like that is <laughs> an automatic for that program. But to be a lower, you know, the mid-division one program, it was, and then the year before, I felt like, you know, it was just kind of taken away from us because I was pregnant. And yeah. we had this amazing season. We finished first, and my doctor says, oh, okay, March 5th, we're going to, you know, have this baby. And I'm like, and I'm telling him, no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to do something. Like, I have to be with my team. We leave on the 5th. You don't understand. We have a tournament. i got to be in those games. So sew it up, do whatever, but I'm not having this baby. And he's like... Vanessa, you don't get to control Sew me it. up. So, <laughs> sew me up. Like, I'll keep my legs crossed. Like, I have to go. And um, I realized then, like, I am not in control of this. Because I had coached every game the whole season. Yeah. And it was like, oh, this is no big deal. You know, you can be pregnant, coach, and everything's great. But he's like, no, that baby's coming. I'm like, oh. And so I had to, you know, Chandler, and to go up there and take this team. And here she is kind of like me, 20-some years old, like, okay, not only are you going to coach the team, you're going to go coach in this tournament, like the three most important games, like go do it. And my heart felt for her. I was like, oh, my gosh. But she was prepared. And so it was just like, oh, when we didn't, you know, we didn't win, I knew how bad she felt. I felt terrible. But I had this new baby, and it was like that part was awesome. And and then it was like last year we hugged the way we did because we got a chance to do it together. As bad as she felt the year before of not getting us there, because I know that's what she wanted. She wanted me to come home from that hospital and us to have won that. And I know it was hard for her. It was so tough. We couldn't even talk for a couple of days. Um, and it was tough for the girls. And so last year to finally break through and for us to have that moment together, it was just, yeah, I can... I have a picture on my phone of us like that. My my son always says, who is that woman you're hugging? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you guys have been able to continue it forward. You guys are sitting at 21 and five right now, 13 and one in conference. You locked up at least a share of the conference title. Uh, you're going to win it. Uh, if you can win one of your last two games, uh, and you just beat Norfolk state, the only team that has beaten you in conference, they beat you in the opener and you've won 13 straight how have you, because for those few years, you were chasing it, right? You were right there, and you kind of had that, hey, we haven't won the tournament yet. That's that's the thing you can dangle. That's the thing you're pursuing. Now that you've done it, how have you been able to continue to get your team to continue pursuing something that they've already done? Well, every year, not everybody has done it. You know, so like last year, I had six knee injuries, three ACLs, three meniscus, and one of those ACLs are my senior, who was right there the year before loses in the semifinals. She can't wait to come back this year and she tears her ACL. And so she's there along for the ride. But, you know, for her, it's like, okay, I want to do this for myself. So and then you have the freshmen and you have the transfers that, you know, were eligible to play this year. So not everybody has done it. So that mm. taste in their mouth, they want to do it for themselves. But 
also for the sustainability, like, I don't know anybody that just wants to be number one one time. Yep. Like, if you can be a champion, you want to be a champion every single day we get up. And that's what we talk about. Championship play, championship practice, championship conversations, championship work ethic. So it's all around us to continue this that should not supposedly have happened from a team that goes from worst to first. That's sustainability. So um, the ones that have tasted it want some more of that. Yep. And the ones that haven't tasted it want to have that taste. It's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, you guys do head down on the road to NC Central on Monday, and then you wrap up at home against Florida A&M, and then it's tournament time again. At this point of the year, um, is it how do you how do you manage it? Right, because you 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 you've essentially clinched the number one spot. Uh, you're trying to manage the injuries. You're trying to you know handle legs. You're trying to keep pushing. Try to keep better. For people that aren't you know familiar with it, aren't in it, take us through like your mindset this kind of year. What's what? I know it's your mind's running a million different ways, but uh, what is it like right now as you enter March and get ready to try to win three games in three days? Well, I think the best thing that happened to us was that Norfolk game on uh, last Monday because some of the games prior to that we were able to win by a substantial amount. It wasn't a difficult game. And so I didn't want to go into this tournament with that com- that feeling because, mm-hmm. you know, then you're not, you're not ready for tournament play. And so that game on Monday pushed us. We got down, we showed resiliency, and it was the kind of game you need going into the tournament because you can tell the players all you want. Hey, it's one and done. But until you're in that moment, and I think they felt that moment, they felt that moment, and that was great that we had it. And not that these next two games are not going to be difficult because Central is on the roll. They've won three straight. They beat A&T, who is, you know, in the top, or, top half of the conference. So the games that are coming up now, you have to get that feeling that, okay, let's take this one game at a time. This is kind of like the tournament. Like, we've got to go for that one game and not worry about, oh, we've clinched the tournament. We've clinched the piece of the regular season. Um, but then practices – uh, my sister called this morning. She said, she always, like I said, we are a goal-oriented family. And she said, hey, today in practice, go back to practice number one. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, remember when you couldn't wait to start back and that first practice and all the girls are like, yes, let's just practice. We're tired of individual workouts and weights and it's opening day, so to speak. And it's just that energy. And sometimes along the season, you forget that. You forget to what it was like when you walked in the gym and you could have real practice. Um, and the girls, like, that hour or hour and a half or two goes by so fast because there's so many things you're putting in and it's exciting. And then you get to kind of get into the season and it's the mundane because yep. everything you put in is in already and you're kind of prepping and you're kind of trying to save the legs, like you said. And so today we just had a very energetic <laughs> practice. Like, let's bring this thing back to October 1st. And so you just try to keep it real and new form. So it's not just another practice and another game because we're in practice 70 something. Anything can get mundane after a while. So we try to change it up. That's awesome. I love it. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal that for me next year. So thank you for that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, I I want to uh, dive into, uh, if you don't mind your, your, your family life a little bit. I've got, um, inside sources that tell me that your your oldest son is um, he's a basketball player, but he's a bit of a ball hog. Is that true or false? Uh, he gets that from his aunt and his uh, <laughs> older cousin. Not his mom, though. Yeah, he right? Not his mom. No, 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 no. 
Well, you might get it from your dad, but no, I'm okay. passable. Like I told you, I wanted our team to win. Well, uh, I always have a speech for my team before every game, and so this speech was be careful what you say and what you what you mean to say are two different things. So last year, my son would never shoot the ball. I sign him up for a practice, basketball practice, five years old, and they pass him the ball, and he passes it out. And I'm like, look, I'm not coming back to a game if you're not going to shoot the ball. Like, you at least have to shoot the ball. That's why you're in basketball. Mommy, I feel comfortable shooting. I'd rather pass. I'm like, whose child is this? Like, we're, never get, we're not getting to 1,000 points with this thinking. Um, so then this year he comes back. And, Blake, he won't pass the ball. I'm talking about I'm so embarrassed in the stands. I get down from the stands one game, and I say, hey, coach, take him out because if he's the only way he's going to learn. And they're like, uh, you're not the coach of this. Kind of go back to the stands. <laughs> and he knows, like, this is not my game. I'm not coaching you, so, like, stay around the black line because that's what he has to do in my practice. Like, don't come in the black line. He's like, Mom, you need to go sit down. Um and he won't pass the ball, and I'm like, uh, now, he's not that he's not passing the ball and he's missing shots. He's making them all. So there is a part of me that's like, yes. Right. And then there's a part of me like the other parents are like, oh, my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. And so I'm just going to look down at my phone like I don't see this. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a heady play by you. That's smart. That's good. Yeah. Hey, as long as he's right. making them, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned uh, your husband. Uh, he's an official in the NBA and has had some pretty huge moments uh, recently for him. Uh, got to re- officiate a game in the finals last year. Uh, he had the All-Star game this year, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Pretty cool stuff. Now, are you one that, as you're watching game film, you'd be like, what is this call? Look at this. What is this? Do do you do that? Do you vent to him? How is that dynamic for you guys? Oh, yeah. I've been to him all the time, and it usually falls on deaf ears because those <laughs> referees, they have, you know, they're, they're, they're they have yeah, a pack. That's a fraternity. And yeah. I'll come home. Yeah. And I'll come home and I'll say, and Eric will be at the game. Said, did you see that call? Did you? And they're like, yeah, she traveled. I'm like, she did not try. And then we get into it. And I'm like, okay, you're always going to take up for them. He's like, no, Vanessa. I said, what do you know about traveling? They never travel in the NBA. I mean, I think I can remember one point where James Harden ran out of bounds shooting and you didn't call that travel. And he's like, all right. I'm yeah. giving you a first warning. And and I'm like, yeah, so this is how we go. And I'm just uh, like, oh, so you're going to check me up? Like, I'm not leaving the room. He said, the second one of your talk, you're going to keep pushing me. <laughs> so this year I felt really good because now I have a challenge. So I use it. Oh, that, that's, yeah, this is great. Oh, my gosh, to be a fly on that yeah, wall. So I'm like, I'm using my challenge right here. Yes. He's like, you, you know you only got one. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I do have, this is going to seem like off the wall, and I hope I get the reaction I'm supposed to get out of this, but uh, I have been told I need to ask you how your husband pronounces the word bald eagle. <laughs> oh, I know exactly where you got that from. Um, we, we are, if not probably the silliest couple you ever know, and so my staff is silly. You've met Chandler, and... Yep. Coach Frank and Nikki, we have a good time. So he'll say, ball Angela, and it just cracks us up. It is such a deep inside story. It's so silly. I'm going to get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I got. I had to get an inside scoop, and I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna drop that." And anyone listening is gonna be like, "What the heck is he talking about?" But good. I, right. You, you got to laugh out of it. That's all I care about. That's good. Um, 
Well, you are obviously extremely family oriented. Um, yeah, you're you're literally the birth of your child ingrained in basketball season. Um, and I know that it's it's fun to, to have all those different angles for you. Um, I, I should have asked this earlier when you talked about, you know, the birth of your son, your second son and coming back. Did you did you feel a renewed energy coming back that next year after, like you said, the season ended in a way that maybe you guys didn't expect it or wanted it to? Was there was there a new sense of like, let's go get this thing after that? Oh, definitely. And I think it was for my girls, too, because. You know, we all were right there. We were tasting it. And then it was, ah, what can you say? Like, it's life that came in. So I was just like, you know what? We're all going to go get this thing together. So it was so important when we won that. But then I went and got that little guy. And I was just holding him in my arms crying because, you know, it just, it just was a great feeling that now we can all celebrate this together. And it was no feeling of, ah, oh, what if it was a week later? What if it's a week earlier? Maybe what if, what if, what if, and then what if never happened, so we were able to do it all together. But I will tell you this, my staff threatened Eric that that summer he would be sleeping in another room because we were not going to go through this again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great. Eric, Eric, I think uh, it sounds like Eric gets the brunt of a lot. And uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's probably deserved, though, right? I mean, I'll, I'll say that <laughs> of too. Course. Yeah, I'm definitely going to still side with you. I'm not stupid. Um, <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll let you get out of here on this one. But um, you've you've got so much good going on in your in your life and with your with your team and your program, and um, you've been so kind to just kind of expound on some of those deeper things. But for someone, if you had a chance to say one thing. Uh, someone that doesn't know you, doesn't know your program, doesn't know anything. You just you have a chance to say one thing about you know what you are about, what your team, your program's about. What like what's the message? If you had one message, you got to to give to someone, and you know plenty of people listening to this probably haven't even thought of Bethune Cookman before. But what's the message you would say? Like, hey, this is what this is what I'm about. This is what we're about. Well, we are a, universe, a university and a team built on faith. Um, our faith is very important to us here. Um, and we stand on the shoulders of a giant in our history, Mary McLeod Bethune, and what she was able to accomplish at a time when it wasn't uh, popular to be black or to be a woman in charge. And so the, the ground is fertile. The, the seed that needs to be sown right now for young people, uh, young coaches, young players, that there's nothing you can't accomplish. And a lot of my team were not heavily recruited. So they were that player that somebody just wished they got took a chance on, and we took that chance. And so when we win these games, it means a whole lot to these young ladies because Bethune-Cookman took a chance on them when a lot of people turned their back. So stay grounded in your faith and keep believing, even when – like you were telling me, Blake, we took over a team that was in last place. I did too, but my belief kept us strong. Our faith kept us strong, and um, those girls are the world to me. Like I love my sons and I love my husband, but all of us are a package, mm -hmm. and we fight for each other. We fight with each other. Uh, it's a whole bunch of girls, so you know there are times when you know everything's <laughs> not great, but but we stay grounded together in our faith. Well, I don't know how you couldn't 
support or be excited about that. I, I appreciate you, you sharing that with me, Coach. Um, man, Bethune-Cookman rolling under Coach Blair Lewis, 21-5 again this year, 13-1, and have a chance to clinch the outright regular season championship uh, yet again uh, on Monday night. But, Coach, thank you so, so much for spending time, uh, taking time out of your busy schedule for me and, and sharing a little bit about you and your heart with me. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, thanks again to Vanessa Blair-Lewis, head coach of Bethune-Cookman, for taking some time uh, for me and for us out of our schedule. And thank you for listening, as always, to the Jump Around, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, iTunes, wherever you listen, rate, subscribe, review, comment, all that good stuff. You can follow me on Twitter, at Blake Dudonis. Thank you, as always, for listening and being a part. And until next time, this is Jump Around. <laughs>